When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowd away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, we rejoice in your word. We know that your word is truth. Lord, as you open your truth to us, we pray that you would encourage our trust in you. Help us to see you, Lord, in the ways that you are working, the ways that you have blessed us as a church, the ways that you continue to work. Lord, teach us what it means to trust in you. Now, Lord, we pray that the words of our lips, the meditations of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, loved by Jesus, grace and peace are yours in his name. Amen. As Victor said, we're, we're looking at this, uh, this greater series and what it means to know that, that God's ways, God's works are, are greater than we can hope for or imagine. And today, we're going to specifically get into the church in that regard, but we're going to look at this passage from Matthew chapter 14. And it, and it starts us off in a, in a kind of an unusual place. It starts us off kind of challenging what we believe and what we trust about who God is. And and we say it all the time, right, that the key thing of the church, the thing that the church needs is Jesus, right? In fact, it, it somewhat becomes a punchline in the church, right? Anytime the pastor asks a question, the answer is, see, there you go. Yeah, I even said Jesus, right? And I, I think I've even told you the joke. You've probably heard the joke. The pastor invites the kids up for the children's sermon, just like Victor did. And, and the, the pastor's up there, and he, and he brings out this picture, and he's showing him a picture, and, and he says, all right, what do we know that has a bushy tail and has big front teeth and it likes to eat acorns and stores them in the fall? You know, and the little boy raises his hand and says, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer has to be Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it is, right? It almost becomes a parody. It becomes a joke in the church and we say that all that we need is Jesus. But it's true. It's true. And the danger behind the joke is that it actually kind of becomes our reality, where we start to question. We start to question whether it really is enough to just have Jesus. Whether Jesus is really all that we need. And it can seem really intimidating, right? Because we don't know if he can fulfill the needs and wants and desires that we have in our 21st century lives. And, and so we find ourselves not wanting to admit that we need Jesus. We find ourselves not willing to even say that he's enough, but just maybe even going through the motions, and that can become pretty destructive. It can become pretty damaging to our faith. Or, or maybe we even, we even just kind of sit around waiting for the day when, when we're going to be told the special secrets that the church has. 
right? And we think, well, there's really, there's got to be more than just Jesus. There's really something that, that the pastors are holding out on us. In fact, when I was at seminary, the first quarter, the beginning of seminary, you have to take a class called Pastoral Theology 101. Really, you do. And in that class, you know, they, they talk about all the things that could potentially happen in the church, and then they kind of look at you and go, and how would you, how would you deal with that? And like as a student, you kind of go, I don't know, that's why I'm here, which I think is the design of the class. But when I was talking with my mom throughout the semester about it, and I remember at the end of the class, my mom said, so did they tell you the secrets? I'm like, what secrets? She goes, you know, all the pastor secrets, there have to be some. And I said, yeah, they did, I just won't share them with you, mom. No, <laughs> no, no, the reality is there are no special secrets, there are no special secrets that we were taught in seminary, not the first year, not the fourth year. There were no special, special secrets. It really is about Jesus. It's about recognizing that what Jesus has is what the church needs. It's recognizing this gift that he gives to each one of us. It's recognizing that when we turn to him, we turn to him in dependence. And we're not the first ones who have done that. And we're not the first ones to question whether it's enough. In fact, Jesus' closest followers questioned the same way. Jesus' closest followers, the disciples, his closest friends, those who were the nearest to him during his time of ministry, countless times asked that same question, whether Jesus was enough or whether they could really even benefit from being with him. We have an account today that, that mentions the disciples in an important way, but they kind of are introduced in the middle of the account. We don't even know how they got to the other side of the, how they got to the, other side of the lake. Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We have to back up for a second so you can understand what the disciples are going through. You can understand what takes Jesus to the lake that day. See, this is in the midst of an account that tells us about the execution of John the Baptist. That John the Baptist had been, had been killed by a, murderous, by a murderous man who was the regional king named Herod. Herod had it out for John, the for John the Baptist, but he could never really get it done until this one day, the right moment was there, somebody had asked for his head, it's a story that's rather gruesome, I'll let you read it on your own. But as he had John the Baptist executed, he then began to turn his attention toward Jesus. And in his paranoid state, he thought that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated that he had come back to get him, and so he had sought ways, breathing out murderous threats, essentially, against Jesus and against Jesus' followers. And it's in the midst of that sorrow and in the midst of that grief over the death of John the Baptist, in the midst of the fear over what Herod was going to do, that Jesus withdraws to a solitary place. He withdraws by himself, the scriptures tell us. He wants to be alone, and so he gets into a boat. Now, we don't know if that alone means he's with the disciples or not, but what we do know is that crowds hear about this, and the crowds follow along on foot on the shore of the land, and wherever Jesus is going in this place, they get there faster on foot than he does in the boat, and so when the boat lands, he sees a whole crowd of people there, and his disciples are in their midst. We don't know why the disciples are there, but we can understand if there are some questions that are going on inside of them, right? We can understand if, if the disciples are in one of those moments where they're saying, I don't know if my life is really better being with this guy. After all, John the Baptist, the, the one who heralded the way of Jesus, the one who prepared the way for Jesus, the one who famously said, I must decrease, he must increase, had been beheaded. And now the same guy who beheaded him 
was now threatening them. You can understand their fear. You can understand their questioning about whether Jesus was enough or if they even needed Jesus at all. But whatever the situation, and however they got there, whether in the boat or on foot, they're gathered there that day with a large crowd of people. And when Jesus lands, he sees that crowd. He sees the crowd that has gathered And they've gathered in some way to be with him. And again, all kinds of questions. In fact, this story probably has more questions than it does answers about the crowd. It doesn't tell us why the crowd is there. I I look at this, and on a certain level, I think the crowd is there because they want to be with Jesus in his grief. Because they've heard the account of John the Baptist. They've heard what's happened. And they've heard that Jesus has been affected by this news, and so they go to be with him. But maybe they're not there because of their grief. Maybe they're there because they're worried also. Because there's a fear of what might happen to them. But they know that they need to be with Jesus. And when Jesus lands, he sees the crowd. It's that wonderful truth that we see so often in the scriptures. When Jesus sees people, he reacts with compassion. He has compassion on the crowd. Compassion is that feeling it in your gut, right? When you feel it in your gut for somebody else, when you see the difficult situation that they're in, you've been in that place, right? Where you see someone who seems so downtrodden, whether in the moment or in a season, and you say to yourself, if I could do something to make their life better, I absolutely would. That's the kind of compassion that Jesus had for this crowd and for its difficulties, Having compassion on the crowd, Jesus acted. In verse 14, it tells us that he landed, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now, I want to ask, when I get to paradise someday, I'm going to ask Matthew why that's not the story here. Right? He healed their sick. Why is that? Why do we not call this Jesus healing the sick? Right? Why do we not call this Jesus having compassion and healing the sick? Because the people who had their sicknesses healed, their lives were changed forever. Right? We don't even know what kind of sicknesses he healed. Were there lame people that he made to walk? Were there blind people that he made to see? Were there people who couldn't hear that he made to hear? We don't know. Because Matthew just gives us one line. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. It's as if he wants to skip over that detail to get to something more important. And we should be reminded that every time that Jesus heals their sick, he's undoing the effects of the curse. He's undoing the effects of sin in the world. He's triumphing triumphing over these things. And he's doing so by the power that is in him. Jesus heals their sick. Then he teaches them He speaks to them, and the day progresses until we get to sundown. And now re-enter the disciples. And the disciples, I think, do what a lot of us would do. They see this massive crowd, and how big is the crowd? The answer is not Jesus. How big is the crowd? 5,000 plus women and children, right? So so how big is the crowd? 10,000 people? It's 5,000 plus women and children. I heard that there were 10,000 people last night watching the Beach Boys at Connor Prairie. Right, so some of you were there. That many people. 
That's how large this crowd is. And they're in this remote, solitary place, and the sun is setting. And the disciples, I don't want to be too harsh on them, they may even just have compassion on the crowd. And they're like, Jesus, send them away to get food. They're going to get hungry along the way. You're going to need to do something. There's nothing that we can do. Something needs to be done for them to get food. Look, Jesus, it's just us and you out here. They understand the magnitude of what it would take to feed them. And so whether it's out of care and concern, for whatever reason, they're wrapped up in the logistics and demands of the moment. And they want to send the crowds away. Don't miss the logistics of this. What would it take to feed 10,000 people with bread and fish? Can you imagine the trailers full of food that it would take? Just think of what a dinner at your house might look like. Or think of a large gathering of people that you've been a part of. This is 5,000 people plus women and children. The sheer volume of food that's necessary. And so they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we're going to have to feed these people. They need something. Send them away. And Jesus says, what do you have? And it's almost comical, right? Their response, five loaves and two fish. And what does Jesus say? Bring them to me. Absolutely, Caleb. Bring them to me. What an important side note for us. And whatever it is that we might have, Whatever it is that we might say, this isn't enough for God to do his work. It's important that we bring it to Jesus first. Bring it to me, Jesus says. As they bring him the five loaves and two fish, then he allows them to participate in this. Now go distribute it. And we don't know how the miracle happened. We don't know if it just kept multiplying on the table or multiplying in their baskets. But the disciples kept distributing the food and there was plenty. There's enough for everyone who is there to eat and have their fill and to pick up 12 basketfuls left over. There was plenty of food that day. And as a result, we call this the feeding of the 5,000. But I want to remind you of something that's so obvious you maybe even have missed it. Of all the people that Jesus, I mean, all the people that Jesus fed that day, every single one of them in the morning woke up and they were hungry again. They needed another meal. One meal was not life-changing. And so this account can't be simply about how Jesus provides food. It can't be simply about how Jesus miraculously provided food that one day for all the people who were there. Instead, we have to read it with eyes of faith and to understand that there is more going on. What's going on is even greater than meets the eye, that this is an account of what happens when people are with Jesus. Or to be more specific, this is the account of what Jesus does for people who need him. That Jesus provides immeasurably more than what we could ask for or imagine. That this is what Jesus does for people who need him. I don't know how you've thought about the feeding of the 5,000. I don't know how you characterize it in your head, but I'm going to give you a way today. I want you to think of this as a gathering of the church. I want you to think about what happened that day beside the lake as a gathering of the church. Because in a very real way, when we get together to do this thing called church on Sunday morning or whatever we meet together, we're doing the exact same thing as the people there. I mean, think about it. We withdraw from the world. We come into something of a solitary place. 
We come into this place and we come together, not knowing exactly what we will receive, but knowing that Jesus will be here. Or at least that's our trust. Our trust is that we have come to be with Jesus. And and I don't know why you have come. And you don't know why the person sitting next to you has come. Maybe you've come out of great grief. Maybe there's been loss and brokenness. Maybe you've come out of fear. Because you don't know what else to do. Maybe you've come to bring encouragement and support to somebody else. Maybe you've come because you have doubts. Maybe you've come because you want an answer from Jesus. Maybe you've come because you're on a mountaintop, because you're filled with joy and you want to share it. Maybe you've come because you want to praise God for what he's doing in your life. Maybe you've come because your heart is filled with love and forgiveness and you want to experience more of that from Jesus. Whatever the case, whatever the reason, whatever the purpose is, whatever has brought you here, We have the promise of Jesus that he is in our midst. It's a promise that we read about in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus himself says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. And as Jesus is in our midst, he sees the crowd. And he has compassion on us. He feels it in his gut for us. And he heals our sick. Maybe not in the same physical way as he did that day, but I think that's part of the reason why Matthew doesn't give us the details. It's that we would know that when we are with Jesus, he heals our greatest ailment, that which is an obvious effect of the curse in the world, the obvious effect of the sin in our lives, that he heals us by giving us forgiveness, by undoing the curse his compassion on us. And he knows that we're hungry. And so he feeds us. Not with donuts and coffee, but those are a fine benefit. He feeds us with his body and his blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's pretty obvious we're going to get hungry again. And so we're going to need to constantly be in contact with Jesus. We're going to constantly need to be with Jesus, that we might be fed, that we might be healed, that we would know that we are different because we have been with him, that we have been gathered to him on this day for whatever reason we have come, that we are gathered with him as the church. Jesus isn't all that the church has, but he's the core reason for all that we have. The church has many other things that we can offer one to another. The church is guided and governed by all that God has given us, and yet the center, the core of all that we are and all that we need is that Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. And so I guess, I guess in a very real way, we finish where we started. There's no profound secret that someone's withholding from you instead this church is a gift of God and the sheer magnitude of it of all believers all throughout the world today and always who worship and praise God that when we come and are part of this we are connected to the same Jesus that we are connected to the same God who has compassion on us who heals us who forgives us 
who feeds us. And so in a very real way, we come to church to say that all we need is Jesus. And it's more than we could hope for or imagine. For Jesus truly is greater and our all in all. To all those who are loved by Jesus Christ, grace and love are yours. In his name, amen. Would you please stand?